Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online and also our friends in Arco, Idaho, and at the Hangar in Montana, and also Purpose Church Rancho Cucamonga. We are so glad that you are joining us for our study here today. We are finishing up today a series entitled Explore God. And this is a series that we have been doing along with the other churches all across uh, Pomona and then, of course, up in Arco and at the Hangar and and, and Rancho as well. And, you know, just yesterday, uh, front page of the Bulletin Express is a a huge article that was written about the churches of Pomona doing this series uh, together. It says, Event Seeks to Unify Church Congregations and Discussions. And I really believe this has been a tremendous testimony to to the community that we are one in the body of Christ. We are together uh, exploring God and seeking to connect our friends and neighbors uh, with the Lord as well. And so today we finish up with our last question of this series, and then we'll start a, a, a new one um, in the weeks ahead, uh, next Sunday. Can I, but the last question we're going to deal with with Explore God is, can I know God personally? Can I know God personally? Let's start with this. Well, it's like we always say, like, my relationship with God, it's, uh, it's not private, but it is certainly personal. You know, like, you can only, every person perceives it differently, I suppose. You know, it's up to the relationship they have with God. I don't see him as being human, so you can't have a human relationship with him. You can have an understanding or a concept, but I don't think you can have a real one-on-one relationship. personal relationship I think wacky is too strong of a word, but I think that there are, there are people who believe that, that uh, uh, what shirt I put on this morning, that, that God cared what shirt I put on. That's nonsense. Some people may say, you know, you're crazy for saying you heard a voice, but I, I felt like I heard a voice from heaven speak to my situation and tell me that everything was going to be okay. And the proof is in the pudding. I'm, I've, I've lived a blessed life since then, since turning my life to God. I do think God is so big and so vast that um, we'll never get to know him exhaustively. I think he's so complicated that we'll never know all of who he is. I don't really believe in a, a higher source of love, you know, coming from God or anything like that. Um, I think it's just something everybody has uh, the capability to love within themselves. I've found peace in my relationship with God because he's the only stable relationship that you'll have because humans can come and go. It's kind of like silly to me, like Santa Claus, if you think of it as a person that you could personally get to know. So I think I think you, you if you're if you're looking to know God as an as a, as a person, like to look at it as if I'm speaking to another being, another person, I think that's a, that may be a stretch. I mean, people if they believe that, that's fine. I mean, for me, that's not the way I view the existence of this higher power. You have to experience it for yourself. I think it's it's something hard to describe unless you're actually willing willing to go there. Now, before Jesus, there were two ways that you got to know God. One was through a place, the temple, and the other was through a person who was the priest. Now, the temple was a place where heaven and earth collided. 
Uh, the Holy of Holies was within the temple. It was the throne room of God. When the temple, the Bible says, was built, God descended on it in the form of a cloud. Now, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year, and there's a veil between that separates God from common people, and the veil was a divider and a shield. Uh, it was kind of a protection of God from our lack of holiness. It was a protection of us from God's holiness, because the Bible said, if you were to see God, you would die. And so our sin separates us between us and unholy us and a holy God, and it condemns us. And the veil represents that separation. Now, the priest is the go-between. He's a mediator. The priest speaks to the people for God, and he speaks to God uh, for the people. Leviticus chapter 16, this is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Now enters the high priest. And it was very, very careful preparation for him to enter into the presence of God. There's a couple hundred thousand people outside of the temple are standing there and they're weeping and they're searching their souls and they're thinking about their sins. And now this one man is going to go into the throne room of God on their behalf, the high priest. Uh, the instructions were very clear as to what he was going to wear, even down to his underwear. It's the only place in the Bible where it says that God tells us what kind of underwear to put on. The only one time he cares, uh, the only one that cares, except for our mothers. They always cared about that uh, because if you had an accident, they were very concerned about that. I remember when I was nine years old, I fell out of a tree and broke my leg. And I think my mother's main concern was what kind of underwear I put on that day. Uh, that they would be cutting off of me there in the emergency room. Now, the night before the day he was to go into the Holy of Holies, he, the high priest would stay up all night and pray and meditate on the scriptures. Then he'd bathe in water. Then he'd be clothed in his special garments. Then they'd put a gold plate on his head that said, Holiness unto Jehovah. Then they, he'd be anointed with oil. They would touch the tip of his right ear, right thumb, right big toe with the blood of a sacrifice. He was the picture of glory, splendor, and perfection. But there was still one problem. He still brought himself there. Wherever we run and go, we still take us with us. And with him came his sin. He was a sinner just like us. The earthly priest was, had his own sin. As a matter of fact, before he could represent the people, he had to do a sacrifice for his own sin. Then he could do a sacrifice on behalf of the sin of the others. Uh, then he would make sacrifices for the people's sin after he had done so for himself. Then he goes into the Holy of Holies, and they would put bells around the hem of his, uh, the, uh, the floor of his uh, robe there so that they could hear him. And these 100,000 people would get so quiet, you could hear the bells going as he went from station to station offering up sacrifice in the Holy of Holies. And the reason they put the bells there, because if the bells stopped, it means he made a mistake and God killed him. And they put a rope around his ankle so they could drag him out and say, who's next? And the next person go in uh, because he had done it uh, improperly. So they were terrified of the presence of God. Uh, how many of you have ever seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Filled with terrible theology, but there is one thing that it got right, okay? One thing it got right is you don't mess with the presence of God. 
Remember when the Nazis open up the, the Ark of the Covenant and they die a horrible death and their faces all melt off of them? You know, I would have actually shown that clip here today, but didn't think it was appropriate for once. Uh, I was disciplined and didn't uh, think that I would show it, but they die in a, in a horrible way. Well, that's one thing that Ragers of the Ark, Lost Ark got right. So he goes in there and he pleads for forgiveness uh, for the people. And this is the system that was in place for about 1,500 years before Jesus. And what's fascinating is wherever you go around the world in different cultures, even today, and down through history, you see a little bit of a similar system. There's this sense that sacrifice has to be made for sin. When Kimberly and I were in Lima, Peru, visiting our son John when he was in Bible school there, we went to Inca ruins, and it was remarkable. The whole process of sacrifice for the Incas was very, very similar, except they would use human sacrifice uh, sometimes, in addition to animal sacrifice. There was this sense in the human heart that our sin needed to be made right with God in order to personally connect with him and to enter into his presence. And so now all these years go by and then Jesus comes. Hebrews chapter 9. When Christ came as high priest, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Hebrews 7, one who has become a priest on the basis of the power of of an undestructible life. Don't you love that phrase? He came before God uh, as a priest for us on the basis, the foundation of the power of an indestructible life. Now, there's some observations that we can uh, make on this. Number one, a pastor is is not your priest. Jesus is. A pastor is not your priest. Jesus is. 1 Timothy 2. There's one God and only one and one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. I remember a number of years back, I heard about a prisoner exchange between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And they exchanged one Israeli soldier for a thousand Palestinian prisoners. That was a one for thousand exchange. Well, this is a one for billions exchange. Christ for the rest of Uh, the entirety of the human race as our mediator between us and a holy God. I've told you about our dog, Floyd. We love our dog. My wife, Kimberly, she is just his favorite. I'm telling you, she kisses Floyd first in the morning and then kisses me, uh, you know, sometimes. And so she loves Floyd. He is like her personal therapist. He has been with her through thick and sin sin as well. Yes, uh, (laughs) thick and thin and thick and sin, uh, you know. And, uh, and, and, and when Floyd was a puppy, he would sin. And the form his sin would take is he'd go to the bathroom inside the house rather than outside the house. And so I, as the father, would cast him from our presence into the backyard because that would not be allowed. After all, I'm not allowed to go to the bathroom in the living room. He shouldn't either, you know. And he'd just sit there with his little nose pressed up against the glass, and he'd whimper, and I just wouldn't have any part of it. You know, Floyd, you stay out there. You have sinned in my presence. You are separated from me by this glass. 
this veil between him and me. And then a mediator would come, and it would be Kimberly, and she'd say, Glenn, let him in, let him in, let him in. And so finally, not because of the pleas of Floyd, but because of the pleas of his mediator, Kimberly, I would open the door and let him back into my presence once again. That's a perfect illustration of what we're talking about here today. Absolutely a perfect, perfect illustration. Hebrews chapter 7. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Number two, a church is not the temple. You are. A church is not the temple. You are. Now, I love sitting in beautiful churches. I, I love coming in here during the week. And because I don't want to waste elect- money and electricity, I'll sit in here in the dark. Uh, and uh, I've given several of our heart- custodians heart attacks during that time. They come in, and, and I'm there, and I'll say something out of the dark, like, do your job well, my son, or something like that, and, <laughs> and it scares them to death. So I love sitting in beautiful churches. Um, Here's Notre Dame in, in, in Paris. Uh, have any of you ever been in Notre Dame? Anybody? Oh, I'm so jealous of you. I'm so jealous. I really want to go there uh, sometime before I die. And uh, uh, I tell you, I just love beautiful cathedrals like that. Um, and yet uh, a church, even a beautiful one like Notre Dame, is not the temple. The Bible says that you are God's temple. 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Now we want it to be a building rather than us. Because then you can be holy in the building and you don't have to be holy when you leave the building. Okay, That's why we want it to be a building. Have you ever caught yourself saying, a word or something or, or a phrase or saying something and you're talking to your friends here after the service is over and you go, oh, I can't believe I said that in church. Okay, can't believe I, I said that in church. So we want it to be a building so we can act holy here and we don't have to act holy uh, when we leave here. I remember a friend of mine, pastor of a church, and he said a lady came up to him after the service and was telling him about a young couple that were making out in the back row even during the service. She said, they were making out right in the presence, right in the sight of God. And my friend laughed a little bit and he said to her, you know, I think wherever they go, they're in the sight of God, you know. <laughs> Um, uh, my favorite story, and I've told it to you before, forgive me, but uh, I love this story. Our, our previous executive pastor, Dennis Endert, he's up here doing announcements a number of years back. And right in the middle of his announcements, we were so afraid. We thought he had had a stroke because he just starts stumbling on his words and he can't remember anything and he just gets distracted. He pauses like, is Dennis okay? And come to find out, he did not have a stroke. But what happened is he's up here doing announcements and he sees his teenage daughter, Carrie, and she's sitting next to a boy here in the, in, the, in the service while he's doing announcements. And he does one of those stretches like this the boy does. It puts his arm around her. And so he didn't have a stroke, but it had the same effect on him at that, at that particular time. And, and here they were doing this in the sight of God, uh, you know. Well, we, we want it to be a building. But he says, you know, we are that. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are that temple. Okay, it's not a building. It is you. Uh, Next page, if you haven't turned there in your study outline. Number three, God listens to you every bit as much as to the, quote, the saints. Do you know the Bible teaches that if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint? It's the Greek word, the holy one. 
God sees you have Christ in you. And so when God looks at you, he sees Christ's holiness, not your lack of holiness, but Jesus' holiness. Romans 8, verse 27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints, God's holy people, according to the will of God. Hebrews 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 7, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And then number four, when you think that no one understands you, Jesus does. You know, one of my favorite, our favorite nicknames for Jesus is when he's called the friend of sinners. Isn't that one of your favorite nicknames for Jesus? You know, it was coined by his enemies. They said it in a critical way. The Pharisees pointed at him and said, can you believe that? He's a friend of sinners. And we said, oh, yes, he is. And we love him for it. It's our favorite nickname for Jesus. He's, he was called by his enemies the friend of sinners, and he is now called by those who love him, the friend of sinners. Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. See, empathy is where you try to get inside and see things from another person's point of view. And it's, and it's hard, it's almost impossible to do. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs says that every person is, knows their own pain uh, alone. Only you know the pain in your life. Uh, but God knows it as well. And Jesus understands, even though other people can't. I mean, we put Tom Cruise's picture up there. And Tom Cruise can try to know what it feels like to be an average or sub-average looking man like your pastor here, okay? He can try to understand my life, but he really, he really can't get it, okay? He really can't understand it. Bill Gates can try to know what it's like to be broke, but uh, unless I don't know his life story, I don't know if he started broke. Maybe he can remember back to when he was broke, but unless he lost everything, he wouldn't know what it was like to struggle to pay the bills uh, month by month. Probably the best illustration is Christopher Reeves. It's a tragic illustration. Uh, We know him best for his role as Superman, but he also played a more obscure role. He played a disabled person in a movie called Above Suspicion, and here's the terrible irony in that. He, He tried to get into the role as a disabled person, uh, and actors are especially trained in doing that. They're good at doing that. That's their, their, their skill, is to begin to feel and to act and what it would be like to be that particular person. But there are limits to how much you can do it. And in 1995, just six days after this movie got released, Christopher Reeves fell off a horse, and he himself actually became disabled. And now he could fully understand what previously he had just attempted to understand. Well, that's why Jesus went through the mess of this life. Because he wanted to understand everything you're going through today. He wanted to personally relate. Not just try to relate, but personally relate. Hebrews 2, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Merciful. No, people are only really merciful to you if they truly have been through what you've been through. 
Those are your friends that have the greatest empathy and mercy of those that have been through chemotherapy like you, those that have been through bankruptcy like you, those that have been through the love of their life walking out the door on them like you. They're the ones that can truly be merciful and faithful high priests. Jesus wanted that for you. He wanted that in his relationship with you. He wanted to be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Uh, John Piper writes, Jesus can sympathize with what it's like to be tempted because he was tempted to lie in order to save his life. He was tempted to steal, to help his poor mother when his father died. He was tempted to covet all the nice things that Zacchaeus owned. He was tempted to dishonor his parents when they were more strict than the other parents. He was tempted to take revenge when he was wrongly accused. He was tempted to lust when Mary wiped his feet with her hair. He was tempted to pout with self-pity when his disciples fell asleep in the last hour of trial. He was tempted to murmur at God when John the Baptist died at the whim of a dancing girl. Jesus, our priest, he has such a great understanding of everything you've gone through, only he did it without sin. And then number five, Christianity isn't about rituals. It's about Jesus. Every religion is based on two letters. One word, two letters, D-O, do. What you must do. Even the religion of Christianity is what you must do to have a relationship with God. Do these rituals. Do this list of do's. Avoid this list of don'ts. Only in Jesus do we find not what we must D-O do, but what D-O-N-E has been done for us. It is not what we must do. It is all about what he has done and receiving that free gift from him. Hebrews 10, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burn offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's not about an organization. It's not about a system. It's not about a religion. It's not about a set of rules. It is about a person, and his name is Jesus And it's about having a relationship with God through that person. Romans 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Supposedly a true historical story about a young man in the Civil War And all of his brothers had died in the Civil War, and his father had died. And it's just him, the youngest son, with his mother. And now he gets the call that he's been drafted into the Union Army. And so, believe it or not, you could do this back then. He goes to Washington, D.C., and knocks on the door of the White House. And that's true. You could do that. Before the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, you could just walk right in. Now, there were limits to it. And so he knocks on the White House door and says, I want to talk to the president about getting out of my military service to stay home and take care of my mother because we'll lose the family farm. We'll lose everything if I have to go to war as well. And they said, you know, it's just impossible for you to meet with the president right now. So he sits down on a bench. He's dejected. And a young boy comes and sits next to him and says, why are you so sad? And he explains his story. You can probably see where this is going. And the little boy takes him by the hand, not through the front door of the White House, but through the back door of the White House. Walks right into the Oval Office. 
and says, Daddy, he says to his father, Abraham Lincoln, this man has a problem. And so the young man shared his problem. Abraham Lincoln writes him an excuse to get out of the draft, to stay home, to take care of his uh, uh, mother. And, um, and it's taken care of because he had a mediator. He had the son of the president take him into the presence of the Oval Office and there present his request. And we have that same opportunity as well. Let's close with this. When people say you can have a personal relationship with God, um, those words kind of wear out over time. But I think for me what it means is there is this space inside of me that I've been existing in for so long and having these conversations with myself for so long and it was, it was stunning to realize that that space inside of me was meant to be shared with God. See, I think the funny thing is I think people are scared to open their hearts up to God or even open their minds up to God because they think God is going to force them to do weird stuff or become a weird person and they don't want that, so they avoid it. And that was exactly where I was. Like, I was in a place I thought, I just, whatever they're selling, I'm not interested. And then you realize, wait a minute, God is the most wonderful thing in the world. He doesn't want to embarrass people or make them join a religious cult or get freaky. He wants to make them fully human. He wants to, them to, to be uh, who they are. And he knows that they can't really be that without him. It's like a car without gas in the tank. Like, you know, it might look nice, but it's not really going anywhere. I have never learned more about God and his love for me than from being a father and looking at my own kids. But it's funny that I've learned more about myself by looking at my adopted kids from Ethiopia. As I look at their unreasonable fear and distrust of me and wondering, do they, does he really love me? Does he really care if I do this? Is he still going to love me? Is he still going to welcome me into my family? And I've realized that just as no matter what my kids could ever do, they didn't do anything to earn my love. They could never do anything to lose it. It's a pretty simple way to put this, that God created us to be in relationship with him, but sin that is normal to all of us, that seems to come by nature, and then sin that we do by practice has broken that covenant with him. And no amount of us mustering up good acts will ever outweigh the bad acts that we do. The problem is this. It's not that we're bad. It's that what the scripture says is that we're dead, right? And, and, and how loud does an alarm clock need to be to wake a dead man? Uh, it's impossible, right? So the miracle is in what God does at this point. Um, the Bible teaches us that God sent his son to earth as a person, Jesus of Nazareth, and then voluntarily gave himself on the cross, shed his blood. And in that moment, what he did was he made it possible for our sins to be removed because his blood was spotless. He was a perfect sacrifice for us. But what we really need to understand is that he initiates it. He's drawing us. All we have to do is say, yes, Jesus, apply that to me. Wash me clean and live in me. And that's when the relationship starts. As an academic, I had a really foolproof plan in how I was going to approach Scripture. I'm going to start in Genesis. 
gonna read the whole thing perfectly through. I'm gonna have my highlighter. I'm gonna make notes. I'm gonna make it a class. And um, I missed the whole point that God really wants to speak to us through His Word. And so what I would encourage someone to do if they really are seeking is to open up the Bible and to read and, and to really let yourself be vulnerable in doing that and be open to what God wants to say. Because what I've found is just when I do that and when I really let myself not go in with an agenda, but just open up Scripture and read I really do hear His voice. I don't hear an audible voice, but I know truths that I didn't know before, and I feel an affection for Him and a sense of His nearness. Originally, I thought God was so far away, you know, like you walk into a church building and it's kind of spooky, quiet, and and that's where God is. And then I just started kind of like saying, well, God, if you're real, I think I can talk to you here as well as if I'm in a church building. And little by little, as I started praying and, and you know, if I'm in my car, if I was just walking around, uh, it, it dawned on me one day, like all of a sudden, I'm like, Jesus, you know, as I'm speaking, I'm like, he's a friend. I have a journal. Sometimes in the journal, I would ask God a question, and then I leave all these lines in the journal blank just to say, God, here's a question I have, and I would like to know what you think about this, or especially if it's about my life or decisions I'm trying to make. Uh, Like when I was dating before my husband and I got married, and I would go out on a date, sometimes I would ask God, should I be dating so-and-so? that I would leave these lines in my journal to find out. And over time, God would answer. I would go out on a date with the person, and it was like right in the middle of that date, I knew, no. I, I knew the answer was no, I shouldn't be dating you. I wouldn't say that out loud to the person, you know, you at least wait till dinner's over. But I, I would know inside myself, mm-mm. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be here. And that is the answer to my question. The way that you talk to God is just like I'm talking to you right now. You could literally say, hey, God, what's up? You just talk to him. There's not some big ceremony. There's not this big thing. There's not this big, you just talk. He knows your heart. He wants to have a conversation with you. There is a world out there that we don't see. And I do believe God is constantly trying to get our attention. He just tends to speak more in whispers and mysteries. It doesn't overwhelm us so that we can find him and possibly fall in love. It's at least worth a look to try to figure out if, uh, if this God in heaven that the, that, the, that the Bible often calls Father, Father, is interested and being our father, it's at least worth a look. Would you turn with me to the upper left-hand corner of the next page? And there's a little suggested prayer there at the bottom of that colored section that says how to become a follower of Jesus, that highlighted section. 
You admit your condition before God. God, I realize I can't stand in the Holy of Holies. And I believe Jesus is the solution to that. And now I choose to open my heart and receive you as my Savior and Lord. I invite you to pray this prayer silently as I pray it out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we've got a gift that we would love to give to you. It says, unwrap your gift. It looks just like this, and it's going to be either at the south end of the lobby or the north end of the lobby, or if you're in Montana, we have these available, and also at Arco and Rancho Cucamonga, we have these available. And if you prayed that prayer to open your life to Christ, there'll be somebody there that would love to speak to you, but if you would rather not, just you just want to slip over and take this gift home with you, no pressure, no obligation, we would love to give this to you. It's got resources to help you in getting to know God personally. Uh, let's stand for our closing benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.